morning and welcome to all of you to Sunday service. My name is Nayaswami Diksha. This is Nayaswami Gyandev. And I'd like to welcome all of you, especially those who are here for the first time, those who are here at the Expanding Light, taking the weekend uh, retreats, and those who are watching us online. I'd like to start by reading from Rays of the One Light, weekly commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda. The topic of this week is the mystery of Avatara or divine incarnation. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. The Bhagavad Gita in the fourth chapter states, as we saw last week, O Bharata, whenever virtue declines and vice predominates, I incarnate on earth. Taking visible form, I come to destroy evil and reestablish virtue. What is the mystery of this divine manifestation? Great avatars such as Krishna and Jesus Christ are born as babies even as we all are. They take human form and go through normal human experiences as they grow from childhood to adulthood. They eat, they play. They may seem to suffer sickness and disappointment like the rest of us. In what way are they different from other human beings? The important thing to understand is that even as they are like us, so are we also like them. Their realization can be ours too. They come on earth to show us our own divine potential. The difference lies not in the manner of their manifestation on earth, but in the consciousness with which they are born. All things are condensations, so to speak, of the cosmic vibration Om, described by St. John's Gospel as the word Most human beings, however, are unconscious of their divine origin. The avatars, on the other hand, come consciously as manifestation of that divine reality. As the gospel says in the first chapter, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh, 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 oh,
morning, everyone. I'd like to offer special thanks to the National Football League and CBS for not starting the Super Bowl until later this afternoon. <laughs> so that we'll have some few, few people with us today. Go Niners. <laughs> so much for Maya. Let's talk about reality. <laughs> I'd like to share with you a poem from Whispers from Eternity, which really strikes the heart of today's topic. It's a poem by Paramahansa Yogananda, God's Boatman. I want to ply my boat many times across the gulf after death and return to earth's shores from my home in space. I want to load my boat with all those waiting thirsty ones who have been left behind that I may carry them to the opalescent pool of iridescent joy. There where my father distributes his all desire quenching liquid peace. Oh, I will come back again and again, crossing a million crags of suffering. With bleeding feet I will come, if need be, a trillion times, as long as I know that one stray brother is left behind. I want thee, O God, that I may give thee to all. I want salvation, that I may give it to all. Free me then, O Lord, from the bondage of this body that I may show others how they too can free themselves. I want thine everlasting happiness, but I want also to share it with others, that all my brothers may find the way to happiness forever and forever in thee. You know, probably like many of you, I, my first exposure and for many years to the world of spirit was through organized Western religion and I was able to refine this concept of God being very, very separate from me and very, very far away and very um, difficult to get along with at times if I wasn't doing all the right things. And I, it was not that this ever got said to me in so many words, but it's sort of one of these things that gets agreed upon, sort of, and everybody kind of nods their head, yeah. Um, so it was startling for me, really, when I came to more a yogic concept of the spiritual life, a yogic concept of what God is all about. And I, I still remember the first time that, that I kind of was able to wrap my mind around this, the, the idea that, that God has, has become everything. God didn't create a universe as if you were walking along one day and saw a pile of building materials and thought that perhaps you'd build a universe. There was nothing else to build a universe out of but his own consciousness. And that God rather became the universe. God manifested the universe. And as if that weren't enough, manifested individual beings, us, uh, who feel, who have a sense of individuality and who have some measure 
of free will. And I just remember my mind boggling over that as if, as if I could give a sense of individuality to one of my fingers and give it a sense of its own free will and yet uh, knowing that all the time that it, was a, that it was a part of the whole of my body. I just, I was so incredulous that I, number one, that I'd been so far off uh, in, in my thinking about God, but that this could even be possible. How, how is it that, that I could think that I'm separate and individual when I'm not? And I was so thrilled by this thought that I just, I, I remember very clearly have just saying to myself, I've got to know this guy. I find out who it is that could do something like this that is that is that I am a part of and that everybody else is a part of and that we're all really essentially no different. And then I sort of got into that study and the practices more and more and came upon this this concept of the, of the avatar, that one who has been through this, who has been through everything that we're going through, has made all the mistakes we are making and have made and will make. And sort of came to that place of knowing for certainty that he or she or soul beyond gender uh, was no different from spirit. That that finger which finally understands that it is no different from the rest of the body. And then after all that has gone through, after all the times that finger has been burned and cut and, and jammed and broken and finally gotten out of that sense of separateness, gotten out of that sense of suffering even, gotten to complete freedom and then and then, such is the individual nature of that soul, so very few souls, decides not to spend an eternity in ever-existing, ever-conscious, ever-new bliss and come back, take on the veil of maya, the veil of delusion once again. Come back, as Yogananda said in that poem, crossing a million crags of suffering, come back a trillion times if need be, as long as one stray brother is left behind. I mean, what a consciousness, what, a, what a, uh, an attitude to, to have. And not every soul, in fact, hardly any souls have that. Each soul, Yogananda said, is utterly individual, utterly unique, but that some of them have that level of compassion that after they achieve complete freedom and and really have no compulsion ever to be in the soup again, that they choose to come back to help other people. It was staggering because they come back and they they come back into the world of um, you know, the fingers that get cut and bruised and, and burned and they have to go through all this because they have a human body, because they, they, they consent really to have this human 
experience, once again, just for the good of others. I'm reminded of a story early in my time at Ananda. Uh, there came to Grass Valley a, uh, another spiritual teacher, Swami Satchidananda, who founded a, a spiritual community back on the, near the, in Virginia called Yogaville, sort of a, a cousin community of Ananda Village. Lovely man and um, lovely sense of humor. And he, he loved puns. He loved to make puns. He's Indian, um, but he got right into, right into the, the world of, of puns. I remember a few years ago, I, gave a, I went back to Yogaville and, and led a weekend retreat there. And they asked me to, um, to give the keynote talk of their communities, a uh, regular Saturday night gathering. And as I was giving this talk, I just... I, I don't usually do all that much in the way of puns, but there were just several of them coming through me. And I just said, wow, you can really feel when you're hitting his vibration. <laughs> Even though he'd passed some years before, it was still, still very clear. Well, when he came to Grass Valley, he told a story that relates to today's topic. He said, there was a, a small gathering up in heaven and seated around a table were uh, the Buddha and... Krishna and Moses and Jesus. They're having a game of poker. <laughs> and, and, the, and the Buddha was, was dealing. And, and that, that image alone, to my mind, is, just, <laughs> is worth the whole story. You, know, you can just see the, the Buddha with you know, one of those translucent green visors and you know, <laughs> maybe a half-smoked cigarette and a dangling. No, I don't think so. That, But anyway, the Buddha is dealing cards out to his... Playmates. He says, so, you guys notice what's been going on down on earth? And Moses is picking up his card saying, yeah, they're getting it wrong again. (laughs) And Krishna says, I suppose one of us is going to have to go back down there and straighten them out. Silence. (laughs) Finally, Jesus said, well, don't look at me. You saw what happened last time. (laughs) (laughs) Fortunately, they do come back (laughs) because it's not in their nature to be be touched by that. What touches them is the the suffering of, of those who have not gained that state of realization yet, who still think they're separate, who still think that this outward reality is the, is the only reality. And they come back because it is it's just their nature. There's a story that's told of a, a, a saint who is walking along the side of, side of a river, on a river bank, and she saw out in the water a little ways a scorpion floating down the river. And, uh, of course, the scorpion was thrashing around because scorpions don't swim. They drown. And so she stepped out into the water and, and picked up the scorpion and to carry it back to the bank, And whereupon the scorpion stung her. And tense pain, she dropped the scorpion back into the water. But then she 
smiled and reached down and picked it up again and took another step back toward the bank and was stung again. In intense pain, she dropped the scorpion back into the water and she picked it up a third time and took the final step back to the bank and was stung one more time, but was able to set the scorpion down on the bank and it scuttled away. And one of her disciples had been there watching and said to her, you know, Mother, what, what are you doing? You, know, what, 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 you knew that that was going to happen. Why did you keep picking it up? It's, it, why, it just, these are evil creatures. They should be destroyed. And she said, you cannot blame the scorpion. It is his nature to sting. And the disciple said, well, all right, but you didn't have to pick it up. You know, and she said, but you see, it's my nature to pick it up, to, to help it. And the disciple said, but you've been stung three times. You, you, you're in, you're in ter- terrible pain. Why are you smiling? And she said, well, because the scorpion is following its dharma, and, which is to sting. And I am following my dharma, which is to pick it up. Everything is in its proper place. That is why I'm happy. You know, and that's what, the, that's what the avatars do. They're not touched by that outward drama that they come down to get involved with, not to the extent that we're involved with, but they have to, they have to relate to this world. They have to take on a, a personality, a human personality, even though they're, they're beyond that. You would understand it's like putting on a heavy overcoat on a, on a hot day to take on a new personality when he incarnated once again as an avatar. He said it's, it's uncomfortable at first, but after a while you get used to it. You know, he, but they, they do get used to not only the personality, but to the, the treatment they receive. You know? And they just don't think anything else of it. One of the disciples of Yogananda did something rather wrong once, caused rather a stir, caused rather a problem. And he later he said to Yogananda, he said, well, you, you will forgive me, won't you? And Yogananda said, what else can I do? And I was like, there wasn't, there wasn't another option, uh, even in that human personality that he'd taken on because of who he was, there wasn't anything else he could do, really but forgive. This is, the, this is how the, the avatars are. When he was born, Yogananda was born, his mother, who was a disciple of Lahiri Mahashaya there on the left side of the altar, uh, took him to, a little baby, newborn, took him to Lahiri Mahashaya wanting a blessing for him. And, and Lahiri Mahashaya called her up and said to her, little mother, thy child shall be a yogi. As a spiritual engine, he will carry many souls to God's kingdom. And that's one of the key elements of, of what a, an avatar is, that they can, they can carry many, unlimited amount, unlimited number of souls to God, as many as will latch, on, latch their car onto the end of that train. Or as the Bible says, as many as received him. 
to, gave, to, him, to, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God. The avatars have that unlimited power to uplift others. And they come and that's what they do. And each one has his or her own separate purpose. Some of them are very, very public, like Krishna, like a Jesus. Some of them are very, very private. They have relatively small works to do, like Sri Yukteswar, Yogananda's guru, who he said was an avatar, called him a Gihan avatar, incarnation of wisdom. He didn't have a big outward work to do. He hardly had any disciples. Very few. He was sort of a, a terrifying person to be around, actually, and you can understand why, um, why he didn't have many disciples. He was not easy. I remember a friend of mine once had a dream that she felt was a, a super conscious dream, and uh, she said that she dreamed that, that she and her husband and I were together in Sri Yukteswar's ashram in our previous incarnation. And I said, yeah, I was there for about a minute and a half <laughs> before I ran, ran out the door. They come with their different missions, and some of them change outward history in palpable ways. Well, that was Krishna's mission. That was, that was one of Yogananda's missions when he came as, interestingly enough, William the Conqueror. It was the Buddha's mission, not in a, not changing kingdoms, not changing geography, but just changing people's understanding of the way they relate to the spiritual life. And really, very similarly, this is, what, this is how Yogananda came, to change people's understanding of not just how to relate to the inner life, but, but how to relate, how that ties up with the outer life as well. He came into a time when things are changing big time in a way they haven't changed in a long time as we, as we emerge into this age of energy, this age called Dwapara Yuga. If you haven't read the book, The Yugas, read it. It's a, it's a fabulous book. It gives you an understanding of, of how the times, they are changing. And Yogananda came to, to help us to get into a divine flow that has come into the world at this time. Because this world is always going, going to go through ups and downs, ups and downs, up and down. That's the nature of creation. It's not that things are all going to be perfect sometime. There's always going to be in this world ups and downs. And the question is not, can we eliminate those? The question really is, can we navigate them? Can we make our way through all these ups and downs? And the ups and downs have gotten a bit more frenetic now, even in the last 10 or 20 years, not to mention the last 100, 200 years, they've gotten chaotic. We all know this. We live in, we live in these times. And there's a, there's a, a new energy coming in that can that is breaking us free of past patterns, breaking us free of the consciousness that matter is the ultimate reality. But in that freedom, we can get lost. We can get disoriented. We can get, and do get, overwhelmed. And Yogananda 
came into this day and age to show us how to make our way through that. Because it's not just it's not just this world that's going to go up and down. It's our own individual lives that are guaranteed to go up and down because this is where we're living. We hope that we're trending upward, generally, but uh, in that upward trend, we are you know, going up and down. You know, it's like uh, the four-week moving average is uh, going up, or maybe it's uh, the four-month moving average or the four-year moving average or the four-incarnation uh, moving average is trending upward on a seasonably adjusted basis. You know? <laughs> But we are, but we do have these spots, and we all find ourselves in the down times. You know, I was, I was reading just yesterday. Actually, I was, I was preparing for the talk. I got a little bit distracted, <clears throat> and uh, well, not totally distracted because I was reading on the Ananda.org website and reading a section that I just love. It's called Ask Ananda's Experts. I'm sure some of you have read in that. If you haven't, please do. And if you're taking the leadership course, you can probably notice that you're not getting all that much in the way of homework assignments. I'll give you one for the whole time. Read Ask Ananda's Experts. Such, these are real questions from real people who are going through the real stuff of life, and they're getting some of the... Some of the, the most profound and yet very, very practical guidance on this. And uh, I was asked to answer one of these questions a little little while back. It was a very interesting one. It it illustrates this up and down, up and down that we go through. It was a man who wrote and said that, that his wife had had an affair with his best friend and he was just devastated, totally devastated. And in the very depths of his pain, all of a sudden, he just came into this place of incredible, he said, pure love and light. And, and deep gratitude. He saw the rightness of everything that had happened and he was grateful for it. And he spent... He went, he went around to other people he had known, he knew or had known in his life and resolved past conflicts in this place of pure love and light that he was living in. He said it lasted for six months when he was just in this incredibly uplifted place. And then, gradually, it faded. It went away. And he was writing to ask, how can I get it back? How can I get it back? We want that back. Once we've had, once you've had the, the elixir, you know, you're not looking for the just mundane stuff anymore. And it's, it's this, this is going to happen to us. And even the, even those, those wonderful times, you know, they're not going to last. And the, the bad times, they're not going to last. Even in the depths of those times, sometimes you can just kind of feel what happened to him. He was so low after this had happened. What had happened is his, basically his self-definition had been shattered. His definition of 
what happiness was, this wonderful marriage, this wonderful friend, had been broken to bits. And he was mature enough spiritually to be, in a sense, at least at some level, okay with that, at least open enough, not all closed down from the tragedy, but open enough that he could receive God's grace that lifted him into this place of pure love and light for six months. Yeah, it was so beautiful. But I think the, the operative thing in there is that on some level, I don't know what level he does, he didn't say enough in his question to know, but on some level, as you know, there are, own, there are no atheists in foxholes, as the expression goes, on some level, he was saying help with a lot of energy and a lot of perhaps desperation, but just reaching out for that help. And that is the way that God can help us. That's the way that the avatars can help us, is to, to reach out when we find ourselves in those times of difficulty, to not allow ourselves to close down, to not cling to that, that self-definition, that definition of our happiness that we thought was serving us so well, but has now just become a, a cage a cage that, that is, is squeezing down on us, if we can allow that to be broken, allow ourselves to be free, that's when God can help us. That's when the avatars, especially in this age here, these, I go to my, my meditation room in the morning or the, or the evening, I see these five photos on the altar, and part of me says, five avatars for gurus and I'm still the way I am. <laughs> but fortunately, there's another part of me says, let's go. Let's go. Even if it's been yucky for a long time, even if my meditations have been flat for a long time, there's a part of me that says, yeah, let's go now. Because they're up there on, that, on this altar, on my altar at home, on your altar at home, they're out there to remind us that it's not just to honor them, it is to remind us that's our true nature and that they took on these human forms, although they were not touched by the human experience, they were in it and that that's our job. That our job is to also get out the way they got out and that they're there to help five spiritual engines and they're not the only spiritual engines around that we can that we can hook to that can take us out and how can we hook on to them we have to ask we have to ask with the sincerity of our hearts and that's the biggest one of the biggest tools we have we might not have the great meditation experiences we might not have that great feeling of connectedness with God, but we can have sincerity. Okay? We can have sincerity, and that's what they, what God responds to, is the sincerity of our hearts. And, but there's another thing we can do also to, 
to emulate them. To they, each the avatars come into this world with these missions. Okay? And if we want to get in tune with the avatar, if we want to hook on to that engine, then to be part of that mission is going to get us on the wavelength where the avatar can help us. They won't impose. I wish they would, but they don't. They won't impose, but if we get on the wavelength by, by asking, by trying to attune ourselves, by practicing what they teach, but try to, at the same time, try to help what they came to do. In Yogananda's case, try to help happen the, the understanding, the broader understanding that we're in a time of great potential if we hold on to our discrimination. If we just don't go wild in the freedom that this new age has had, but to really understand, take the time to understand what takes us where we want to go and what doesn't. It's that simple. Because that that verse from the Gita, when virtue declines and vice predominates, it's not just like evil people doing bad things. It's when, when ignorance predominates. Okay? It's when bliss disappears. Like God incarnates as an avatar. And to, to try to just be in those qualities, to meditate on those qualities, to get in tune with them, that will help the avatar's mission, which is going to succeed anyway, whether we help it personally or not. It's the question is, will we receive the blessings of participating in it, or will that be left to other people? The choice is up to us, and we can make that choice on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, on a minute-by-minute basis, just to be part of what these great souls come to earth to do. And my prayer is that we will all do that better and better and find our oneness in God. God bless you.